Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Good morning, Imago Day. It's good to be back with you all. Man, I, if you're visiting, I'm just a guest speaker and we'll, we'll be off shortly. Um, we're glad that you're here with us. We are starting a new series on prayer next week, and so we're excited about that. Uh, as mentioned, you'll have an opportunity to come before church, before the nine. I know it's an 11 o'clock service, but you can do it uh, at 8.15, and we're just going to be praying before the services, uh, or you can pray at home as well. Uh, encourage you to do that. And then after the prayer series, we're going to start a series on the life of David, uh, which, which I'm really excited about. I had a chance to kind of spend some time over the last few weeks just getting a break to pray and uh, spend time studying and being with God, which it's been a f- couple years since the pandemic started for that. And man, it's, it's uh, just with everything that's happening, you know, and, and coming into the fall, as, as Rach was praying, as our kids go back to school and going, what is that going to look like? And uh, even as church is started and with the numbers in Oregon and what that's going to look like, and even as we speak today, uh, Ida, the hurricane is hitting Louisiana uh, on the very date that Katrina hit 16 years ago. There's just so much right? So much. And I want to start just by acknowledging that and praying, uh, praying for those in the path of the hurricane this morning, uh, for the first responders, for those who couldn't uh, evacuate, uh, praying for the churches that are there, praying for decision makers that, uh, that the response the resources, the care, the rescue would be equitable uh, to all people, especially people of color, unlike Katrina. I just think it's a time for us to be praying for that region. So would you pray with me this morning as we think about uh, our brothers and sisters? Father God, even as we gather here this morning, we're mindful of churches right now that aren't gathering, that are locked down, boarded up, that are taking people in, that are gathering resources and preparing for the post uh, cleanup as this, as this massive hurricane hits, makes landfall, God, and we know that it's uh, bringing a lot of destruction. Father, we do ask that you would be with those who couldn't get out, God, that they would have food and water, that they would be protected, Father, that you'd be with decision makers, God, that you give them wisdom and clarity in your mind. Father, we pray that, that those who are often left out would be 
first and foremost on the minds of those in power. God, we pray especially for your church that as always, these are moments when your people rise up, not just the churches there, but churches around the country that rally behind your people on the ground so that, God, we can show up and be your hands and feet. But God, we know right now that people are terrified, that they're afraid, and so we pray that somehow, in some way, supernaturally, God, your peace would be upon those people, that you would bring comfort, that you would make miracles happen, uh, Father, as people ride out this, this storm. Father, we commit them to you. Our minds are with them. We want to bear this with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As I was thinking about this morning, um, obviously, you know, when, you know, they've created a new term for scrolling through your iPhone news or your phone news, doom scrolling, which is actually <laughs> kind of how it feels when you're reading through your news, you know? You're like, is this the apocalypse or what? There's several things that feel like a sci-fi movie. And, and the title that I gave to this morning was Faith That Flourishes in Anxious Times. And I thought about that. I'm like, is that kind of an oversell? Uh, flourish? Like, that's a big word. And, but the truth is, like, in moments like this, when there's anxiety, particularly long-term anxiety, it ebbs and flows, and we think we're out of something, and then it comes back, uh, there really is only sort of two ways for our faith to go. We either engage it, right, and we find ourselves trusting and believing and leaning into God, or we run to self. We run to fear and anxiety and kind of our own emotions. And what I hope for us as we go into the fall is that in many ways we are replanting the church, even though we're a church now that meets online and in person, and uh, it just looks very different. And yet, there are some, there's some very simple things that I think God calls us to that are more important now than ever. And, and these are moments where when we can't just do things like we always have, that those simple things, those main things become priorities. They're, they're the most important things. And I wanna talk to you about one of those things today. Uh, what does it mean for us to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit? Uh, it, it's so important during these anxious moments, and yet it's one of these things that I think, for many of us, it, it's, it's something that we don't fully understand or what it means. There is a picture that I want to give you of Jesus in John chapter seven. And he's speaking at this festival and he stands up in this middle of this crowd and it says, on the last day, the last and greatest day of the festival, and this festival is primarily Jewish people at this festival, and he stands up and in this loud voice, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John writes, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. And so you have John who is writing this gospel and he's reflecting back. He's reflecting back on Jesus standing up at that feast. And when he stood up and he said, anybody that's thirsty, come to me and drink because out of him will flow rivers of living water. Anyone who believes in me will flow these rivers of living water. And John goes, oh, what I have experienced now after receiving the Spirit, that is what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about the Spirit is that source, that living water, that that stream that's flowing through me. And John connected those dots as he looks back. Now for Israel, they would have understood because they were familiar with their own story, their own story through the prophets and through Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. But this phrase, living water, would have been familiar with them because over and over, God uses it in the Old Testament for imagery of how God has always been a source of living water to them. It started when they were in the wilderness and they didn't have anything to drink and God gave them water from a rock, right? Moses just, he hits this rock and water comes pouring forth and they drink streams of living water out of a rock in the middle of this barren desert. And from then on, God uses this to describe himself, this source of living water. And so in Jeremiah chapter 2, the prophet talks about these two sins that Israel committed. He says, they have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now a cistern was this giant slab of a type of granite rock and they would basically chip away at this slab of rock until they could make a bowl out of it and and they would hopefully be able to dig a deep enough bowl that it would hold water whether it was rainwater or water that they would carry in from a, a well somewhere or a river out out they would walk to and they would they would hold the water for like the town or the village in this cistern. And God says, you have rejected me, this source of living water, this, this river, this spring. In other words, it's coming, it's free, it's, it's active. And you have rejected me by digging your own cistern. And not only not only are you rejecting me, but this cistern that you've dug, when you do pour water into it, there's cracks all through it. And so the water that you pour into it, it just seeps through. It just dissipates and disappears, and it's empty, and it's useless. And so that imagery is part of Israel's story, this continual rejection of God, the source of living water, who is their life, their strength, their peace, their hope. 
and this continual reliance on self that going to my strength, my source, right? And, and finding only that all my attempts to save myself, to bring peace to myself, is just like pouring water into a broken jar. It's just pointless. But I still go back to it. I still go back to it. So when Jesus then, hundreds of years later, stands up at this festival and he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water are gonna flow out of them. He is pointing back to that and he's saying, I am that God, right? That's me, the promised one who is gonna come. I am the Messiah who is actually bringing the fulfillment of this. And then John is able to say, yeah, and I have drunk that water by the Spirit. The Spirit has come, and I have drunk that water. Now, it's interesting when we think about this imagery, because when we come to the Apostle Paul and in his language about the Spirit, he speaks of the Spirit in a couple ways. He says, one, whether it's to the first, like to the Corinthians, he says, you have been baptized by the Spirit, meaning when you became a, a follower of Jesus, when you trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit became part of your life. You have been placed in the body of Christ. In, in the church of Ephesus, he uses the word seal. You've been sealed with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is in you. It's like God looks down and he sees his Spirit in you and identifies you by that Spirit. And yet at the same time, in both Corinth and Ephesus, he uses language to experience the Spirit, this idea of drinking from the Spirit. So for the Corinthians, he says, you've been given this Spirit to drink from. And in Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. It's all, it still taps into this kind of water language. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. And so this interesting phrase, be filled with the Spirit, it's actually a command. Now we, we're great at commands in church. Don't do this, don't do this, do this, love your neighbor, right? Tithe, give, <laughs> don't cuss, don't do these things. Have you ever heard anybody get on your case for not being filled with the Spirit? You're not filled with the Spirit. I mean, if you're at that church, that's really weird um, because it's always the person that's so-called filled with the Spirit that's given out that command. But, um, but it's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. And what's so peculiar to me about this command is how do I obey a command to be filled when I don't control the source? It's like telling your gas station, be filled with gas, your gas tank, be filled. And it's like, I'm ready, right? All I can do is receive. 
So the source is the spirit. We are there to receive it, to be filled. How can we obey this command when we don't control the source? Well, it assumes that God is there. God is ready to make his spirit available to us at all times. If you are a follower of Jesus, then the spirit is in you. It's available to you. And so what must we do? What is that one condition that we must meet? Well, it's only really one thing. We have to empty ourselves, right? We, we need to believe. We need to believe that God really does want to fill us with his spirit. And by belief, I don't mean acknowledge, because I think for many of us, we've turned that word into acknowledgement. Like, yes, check the box, I acknowledgement. But biblical belief is always a response. Like, by faith, people fill in the blank. It's always a verb. They did this, they did this, they did this. And so it's a belief that leads to action. It's a belief that God, if God really has made his life available to us by the Spirit and he is ready to give you that life by his Spirit for peace, for life, for spiritual fruit, for whatever it is, then that belief has to take action. And the only action that we can really take is to empty ourselves so that we can receive the spirit, right? We have to empty ourselves. And so what do we empty ourselves of? Well, there's only a few different types of things that we carry around in us. We carry a whole lot of self. We carry a whole lot of sin, right? And and it's the and, and then from For many of us, we carry a, well, it's really self and sin. I think it would be those two things. With sin, God invites us to say, can you give me that sin, whatever that sin is, can we run to Jesus and and say, Jesus, cleanse me from this sin. Like, I, I want to actually turn from it. I want to leave it. I want to give it to you, this this idea of emptying myself is a picture of surrender. It's a, it's a surrender that like really has a warm affection that believes God wants me. And he does. God wants you. But he wants your life as a surrendered life. And that is the best way to give it to God. Trust me. And so faith, this faith of emptying, it's a faith that runs to Jesus, really runs to Jesus and says, cleanse me and, and receive me, like I'm surrendering myself to you. There's really these two verses that I think of that if, I think if we, if we got these two things right, we would have such an easier time at walking by faith, even in Portland. <laughs> The first one is James chapter 5, verse 16. It says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I don't know why it is that we have so privatized confession of sin 
there was this major schism between Protestants and Catholics back in the 1500s over kind of the priesthood where evangelicals or, or Protestants understood that, that First Peter tells us that, that we are all the priesthood of believers, so we don't need a priest. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our great high priest, and we can go right to God through him. So we don't need a priest, and I believe that 100%. But what the Catholics got right was the idea that we need to confess to one another. And there's so much power in that. And what we have done is we've taken that sort of, we are the royal priesthood, and we've almost privatized it. So that now I can just, when it comes to my sin, it's just me and Jesus and I can, I can tell him, and I don't even have to say words out loud. I just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, great, I'm good. And that's like the extent of my confession. And, and for whatever reason, James is on to something. There is something about humbling myself enough to sit with a brother or a sister to confess my sin out loud to Jesus with someone who loves me enough to agree with me, right? To agree with my confession, to pray for me, to announce to me that Jesus has forgiven me, that the blood of Christ covers my sin. And James gives us this promise that if we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other, we will experience healing. And so I believe that part of these sins that we're continually stuck up against and we can't get past is because we, we haven't developed this pattern of this kind of surrender, this kind of, I'm gonna sit with someone uh, regularly, I'm gonna find this spiritual friend and, I'm go and we're gonna get together and we're going to keep a short account of sin and we're gonna confess our sins before each other, we're gonna, we're gonna pronounce forgiveness and we're gonna pray so that we're healed. And if we got that right, I'm telling you, you would walk in victory in a totally different way. We must believe that emptying ourselves is worth humbling ourselves enough to confess our sins to another person. That we're gonna run to Jesus with another person like this. The other verse that I, comes to mind is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's a really simple verse, and one of the first ones that I think I ever memorized, and it just says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he'll keep your path straight. The reason that I love that when I first became a Christian is because Lean not on your own understanding. I didn't under, understand anything about being a Christian. I didn't understand the Bible. I didn't understand church. I didn't understand half of what the guy up front was talking about. And so I was like, this is great. I'm just going to trust God, and I'll, it looks like I'll be good, right? 
And then I started to get wise, and I went to Bible college, and I got a degree, and a da 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 and I figured, like, oh, I'm going to figure stuff out. And the lie in all of that is that somehow my understanding could grow to the place where the complexity and the mystery of God can get rationally uh, explained. And we live in a time where our own understanding is almost absolute truth. Like we have deified our opinions to the point where whatever our personal understanding is, that is absolute. And it is so absolute that it doesn't matter if all of us disagree and have our own, they're each one absolute. And there is no way that we can all hold that kind of prideful uh, idolatry over our own opinions and still humble ourselves before God. And what's beautiful about this invitation, that this is a picture of surrender. This is a trust in the Lord that says, God, that this thing is bigger than me. This world is bigger than me. There's stuff I don't like. There's stuff I don't get. There's things that when I do try to figure them out make me mad, but I can trust you enough to go, I don't understand, but I'm still going to submit to you. That is the biggest challenge, I believe, for our kind of generation. But it is so important. You can't empty yourself if you can't do that. But if we could get that right, right? That if if we could understand, if we could look at the cross and we could see his love and his goodness, his mercy and his truth, we could see the, the face of God in the face of Christ and go, that is the beauty and the love of God and the mercy of God. And that is the God that is asking me to trust in him and not, and lean on the thing into, not on my own understanding and submit to him and know that he'll make my path straight. If I could get that right. And I'm not going to get it right all the time, but even when I screw it up and I realize I'm going to get back on track, that is emptying, that surrender. Does that make sense? So this emptying is this idea that I'm going to, I'm going to be in this rhythm of confessing and in this rhythm of surrender, and, and, and that's going to put me in a posture of receiving what God wants to pour out. Of his spirit. Now it assumes certain things, like it assumes that there's desire there, that I actually want to be filled with the spirit. And, and for me, I guess what that looks at, like, is that I have spent enough time sort of licking the bottom of this empty cistern that I, I'm so sick of it. I'm sick of this life. And whether that's our anxiety that we keep running to, like anxiety has its own addictive pattern to it where we kind of hold, we can get to a place where we hold on to it because it gives us some idea that we're doing something about something, you know? 
I struggle with anxiety, and so I'm not making light of it. Um, But there is a place where that, I believe God invites us to surrender that, be anxious for nothing but by everything but by prayer and petition, right? Emptying myself of my cynicism and my complaints. One of the easiest places for Christians to go to if we don't go to faith is to go to cynicism and to go to complaining. Or emptying myself of like my unbelief and my stubborn resistance of God. It's, it's, it's still that empty cistern, but I, well, for whatever reason, I'm still going to resist God and resist his life. Maybe it's the idols that we've ran to during our anxious times, right? That I go to drink, or I go to spending, or I go to check out, or I isolate myself from other people, whatever it is, but it makes me feel safe. It makes me feel like I'm in control. All of these are ways that we fill ourselves up, that we're pouring into this cistern of our life and we're going, this will make it better, this will make it better, only to watch it just dissipate through the cracks and we're left still in this empty place. But But the good news is that Jesus every day, every morning says, anyone who is thirsty, even you who has known this for a long time, yeah, you, even you who are thirsty, come to me. Anybody that believes in me, springs of living water, right? Be filled with my spirit. We can spend years and years filling ourselves, whether it's, whether it's that kind of anxiety and control or idols or just religious stuff, right? We're just going to get busy knowing everything we can about God, arguing about theology, but we're still pouring it in. We're not, we're not surrendering to the Spirit. We're mastering God. We're harpooning him like, like uh, the whale, and then we'll dissect him, and we'll look at his parts, and we'll be like, oh, omnipotence, look at this. That's God. It's like, no, that's not how you know God. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He's a relationship. You have to be filled with him. And so this act of faith, of emptying ourselves, I guess what I would ask is, what does it look like for you? Are you dissatisfied yet with your anxiety? Are you dissatisfied with your your little idols? Are you done trying to drink from this empty cistern of your religious striving or yourself and and what does your heart do when it when you truly hear this beautiful simplicity of coming to the end of yourself so that you can come to the beginning of God and there is always a new beginning right there's always a new beginning you see the beautiful thing the thing that I it, I will never not love about Jesus is that 
he always welcomes our surrender. Always. He receives us. When we come to that place where we're like, man, I'm helpless and I'm hopeless and I'm impotent. I don't even feel like I could grab onto the spirit if he gave it to me. And he says, perfect. You're right where I want you to be. Right? Right with that childlike trust. That's what it means to empty ourselves. And then we wait on the Lord. Now, waiting on the Lord, can you think of a more un-American thing to do? Right? Wait on the Lord. We don't wait for anything. We, like, I don't know. How many Amazon boxes are in your garage? And how frustrated are you that two-day prime isn't necessarily two days now because of the pandemic? I mean, we are... We are so, we want everything now. We want it now. And, and there is something about God that, that he, he does engage us relationally. So, so he is interested in knowing how bad do you want me. And he knows, but he, I think he wants us to know. And so he allows us to know ourselves in such a way. He will allow us to wait, not out of some spiteful thing, but as a way of developing our thirst, developing our longing. It's so that our senses can be desensitized to the fault so that we can truly taste and see the goodness of the true God. The Apostle Paul gives us this image of what I think is a lifelong kind of journey of what the Spirit wants to do in our hearts. If we, if we were to surrender daily, if we were to be filled with the Spirit, he says this, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, would have power, together with all of God's holy people, to grasp how high, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, that is a prayer that defies language. Like he couldn't even come up with the words, so he just used them against each other, right? That you'd be filled to the measure of what? All the fullness of God. Well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly, right? He's just like, it's so big that I want you to know the love that surpasses knowledge. What? It doesn't make sense. Exactly. He's saying that this is so much bigger than you could ever dream it to be. And and he wants you to compare that picture of a lifelong pursuit of exploring the geography of Christ's love, the height, the depth, the width, the length, 
to the expansiveness of the beauty of God and his mercy for you and compare that with this broken cistern that you keep running back to that keeps you keep grasping for something and it keeps draining out and there's no life left in it and it keeps leaving you thirsty and Paul says there is something so beautiful and big and supernatural breaking in here It's heaven coming to earth inside of you. You've already been given this spirit. Now, this is what the spirit wants to do. And then two chapters later, oh, by the way, yeah, be filled with the spirit. Oh, okay. He commands us, be filled with this in what you've already received. The the fountain is in you. Now, we're going to ask God to release it. Empty yourself so that the living water can flow through you. In some ways, this seems super, super basic. In other ways, it seems so profound. When I think about this, though, the one thing that I, I think about personally is that um, the small things have always been the most profound things in my walk with God. It's always the mustard seed that I'm like, oh, that that was insignificant that actually turns out to be the kingdom, right? The kingdom. It's the childlike trust that like, oh yeah, anybody can do that. That actually is, yeah, that was the main thing. That was the main thing. Everybody else is looking over here and Jesus is always working over here. And all you need is that mustard seed. Like you may be sitting there going, man, I, can, I don't know if I can empty myself fully. I don't know. That I'm not, don't, don't make it into something more than I'm, than I'm saying. Confess your sin and surrender to God in the only way you know how. That'll be enough. He knows. You can trust him. Empty yourself and anticipate, and he'll show up. He promises to do it. And it may seem small at first. It may not seem significant to you, but don't don't overthink it, right? He may invite you to look up a verse. He may call you to read a passage. He may ask you to walk across the street and do something for your neighbor. Whatever it is, just hear it, receive it, and obey it. And you're beginning a journey in walking with the Spirit that is going to grow into a supernatural, dynamic walk with God. That is the normal Christian life. I'm convinced of it, and very few of us are living it. And some of you may be sitting there going, man, I, there's no way that God could receive me where I'm at right now. I'm too scattered. This last two years has been taking too much out of me. And, and I would just say to you, if that's where you're at this morning, you are the perfect candidate for this, right? The emptier we feel, the better. This passage in Isaiah gives us an insight into the heart of God, Isaiah 42, 3. He says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick 
he will not snuff out. So, in other words, those who come to God, no matter how fragile, he uses a picture of a candle that's burning and, and the, the flame is just smoldering. It's barely, it's sort of flickering and going out and there's almost more smoke than fire and it's about to disappear. And, and basically the writer is saying that God would take that flame and actually nurture it back into a full fire rather than snuff it out. What I'm telling you Brothers and sisters, as you can trust this God to receive you, Jesus is receiving you. And it's that Jesus that invites you to come to me, you who are thirsty. Turn from this broken cistern of anxiety and idolatry and religious self-help. And believe in Jesus so that you can drink of that living water. Be filled with that spirit. He will receive us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we are an anxious people in anxious times. A people who live in a moment where our own opinions are often the highest form of truth. And yet, I would testify before you and confess before you today, God, that all my attempts... At, at trying to, to control this last two years, trying to bring peace to my life apart from you or just grabbing for water in that broken jar, God, that broken pitcher, there's nothing in it. And so we come to you, Father, in the face of Jesus, every broken reed, every smoldering wick in this room. We come to empty ourselves, to confess our sin to one another. And I'd encourage you this morning as people come to the prayer doors that this is an opportunity for you to sit with someone who will lovingly agree with you and pronounce forgiveness over you as you confess your sin today, God. And I thank you this morning that, Jesus, you have cleansed us of all sin and purified us of unrighteousness because of your blood. So we empty ourselves by surrendering, God. Our understanding's gotten us nowhere, so we lean into yours. We trust in you with all our heart. We lean not on our own understanding and we acknowledge you, we submit to you in every way that we can. And when we fail, we're gonna get right back and submit again, knowing that you will direct our path. And so we're empty before you so that you can fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
be filled with the Spirit, you said. So come, Jesus. Bring your Spirit. Pour out your living water. We are thirsty this morning. We are ready to be filled. And everybody said, Amen.